a Podcast One production. Hi, welcome to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. Thanks for joining us. In this series, we've been talking about how to be happy fit, how to sleep happy, how to set happier goals, um, how to have happier relationships, happier careers. But underlining all of this is something really important that comes up all the time and it's self-sabotage. So today we're going to take you through what is self-sabotage and give you some tips to deal with it. Cass, how would you define self-sabotage? Self-sabotage manifests in different ways, but it is essentially anything that you do that undermines your performance, anything that you intentionally do mm-hmm. that actually gets in the way of you performing to your optimum level. It's almost mm-hmm. like building in an excuse mm-hmm. if you fail. Okay. So I told you that I did a degree in French, right? Yes. And every French class I'd turn up and say, I hadn't. Désolé. Ah. Sorry, I haven't read it. I haven't done it because I was so terrified of speaking French that I'd, I'd just say, I forgot the book, I haven't done it. Is that the sort of thing, like sabotaging? Yeah. So the term came out of sports psychology and talking about elite athletes, mm-hmm. for example, who uh, self-handicap. So in other words, uh-huh. by not giving a 100% performance, they could always tell themselves that had they given 100% performance that they would have done better. So it was a protection of their uh, ego, really, mm. um, if they happen to fail. That makes so much sense to me because as a trainer, what happens, people come to me for training, they're scared, they're scared they won't be able to do it. So they say, I've got a sore ankle, so I can't really go hard Mm -hmm. today and I'll assess the ankle. It's absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. And they just set up from the outset, I can't do that, I can't do that. I'm injured. It's not me if I fail. Yeah. So it manifests in all sorts Mm -hmm. of different ways. It's going out and partying the night before your big exam Hmm. or your big job interview. Mm -hmm. It's um, staying up too late, you know, instead of preparing for a meeting or coming into a meeting, you know, or a class and saying, I haven't prepared. Yes. So what we know is that it's actually people tend to do it more when there is a risk of a public judgment. Mm -hmm. So they don't tend to do it so much privately. So in thinking about is it to protect their own self-image or to protect their public reputation, Mm -hmm. it seems to be more about protecting how your reputation in front of other people and worrying about what other people think of you. So essentially what you're doing is that you are maximizing the opportunity to externalize failure. If I fail, it's not my fault. But Mm -hmm. if I do really well, aren't I awesome? Because I did really well, even in the face of this lack of preparation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it. you know, we hear it all the time. You and I hear it all the time. Mm -hmm. When it comes to people going on, you know, diets or trying Mm -hmm. to change their health and fitness or change their lifestyle. And every single week we say, has anybody got questions, anybody issues? And the number one question every single time is, how, what do I do about self-sabotage? And why, Cass, does it happen when people reach their goal weight or they've been doing really well for a while? Why do they self-sabotage? Because it doesn't really make sense, does it? Like I had a friend who was saving for a house deposit and then she had to present all of her um, finances to her accountant and the day before went shopping, just blew a whole oh lot of gosh. money. And I think it was fear fear of a mortgage, fear of not getting a home home loan. Like it was just really odd. Why do that after such hard work? 
Yeah, well, there's a big fear component there. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a few different reasons why this happens. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the self-handicapping as in protecting my reputation. Mm-hmm. I think there are other things that go on psychologically. For example, if you're aiming for a big goal or if there's something that you perceive that you want to achieve, mm-hmm. but and that's in your conscious mind. So if we look at the mind being, the conscious mind being kind of the tip of the iceberg, mm. then underneath the, the waterline is all of the beneath. unconscious. Mm-hmm. A lot of our behavior is actually driven and our choices are driven by our unconscious beliefs and our unconscious mind. And that stuff gets laid down really early on in life. I mean, even pre-verbally, we're getting messages about ourselves, other people, the world, our self-worth, our abilities, our competence, you know, as children, as little mm-hmm. children. And those things become kind of ingrained mm-hmm. in our psychology, the sort of core beliefs that we carry around with us. And we we really, they're the filter through which we view the world and interact mm. with the world. And they do, they determine a lot of our choices and a lot of our behaviours. So, for example, if you're in your conscious mind, you say, I want to achieve this thing, whatever it might be, the buy a house or, mm-hmm. you know, lose some weight or get fitter. Mm-hmm. But there's some unconscious belief that that's not something that you're necessarily capable of or worthy of mm. um, or, you know, that's somehow unavailable to you, then that can get in the way because your behaviour and your decisions will be driven by something else. Uh-huh. It's that like I can't, sense. I don't really think I can do it. That's a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is that if you if you have a, some kind of a core belief there that there could be a negative consequence to achieving your goal. Mm-hmm. So in your friend's case, there mm-hmm. might have been some fear of mm-hmm. What will happen if I get yeah. this mortgage? Then I have to service this mortgage for the yes. next thirty years. Yes. So that could be it. If it's a goal to um, have a successful, you know, blog or business or yep. achieve some su- su- success, there could be beliefs about what people will think about me mm-hmm. or um, credentials what, and all of that. What might? Yeah. Mm. Or I won't. It's like I'm thinking of an example now of being promoted from a mm-hmm. line worker to a manager. Mm-hmm. And then I won't be able to go and have drinks with my friends anymore because I'll be... More responsibility. Yeah, like we can't be friends because we all get together and bitch about the boss. Yeah. So I can't be the boss. Yeah, right. Because then what will happen? So there's that sort of... And what about relationships, Cass? Because there's a lot of self-sabotage in relationships even when you find the perfect man or you've got a really good relationship and then people do things to you know, sabotage. I've seen my girlfriends do that. I'm like, why would you send that text or act that way when you've got a good guy? There's a whole other, there's a whole other minefield (laughs) around relationships because that comes to our attachment, early Mm -hmm. attachments and our attachment beliefs and those Mm -hmm. fundamental beliefs and patterns that are set down about how relationships work. Yeah. I mean, we can talk more. Yeah, but it makes sense. Like my girlfriend said, oh, well, in the end, I just didn't feel good enough for him. Oh, there you go. So I sabotaged it. Like those sorts of value, self-value and worth. Yeah, absolutely. And also what we we see is people being drawn to the wrong, like really unhealthy relationships and playing out behaviour patterns or relationship patterns that they know don't make them happy. Mm -hmm. And that can sometimes come from, for example, in your early years, we're getting in a little bit into like attachment psychology here, but mm, in, your early, in your mm. early years, your primary caregivers generally are your parents or mm-hmm. whoever it is that's caring for you, really teaches you about relationships and teaches you about your role in a relationship and whether your needs will be met, mm-hmm. whether people will be available to you, whether, you know, mm-hmm. all of that kind of really healthy or not mm-hmm. stuff, whether you people are reliable and dependable mm-hmm. and... Whatever is whatever you learn from that, 
again, you kind of take through life. And so when you become an adult, your primary attachment, your attachment needs don't change. We all need to be kind of seen, heard, felt, Mm -hmm. valued, understood. But as an adult, your primary attachment figure tends to more so be your partner, Mm -hmm. not your parent. Mm -hmm. But these attachment relationships play out. So what you've learned about relationships, you will play out in your adult relationships because, and even if that dynamic is really uncomfortable, even Mm -hmm. if it's really quite a painful dynamic, it's familiar. Mm. So you tend to, you will always revert to what is familiar because it's like, well, I know what to do with that. I know how this works. Mm -hmm. I know what my place is here. Mm. And so... People on the outside will say, well, what are you doing? You deserve Mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. But that will never resonate with somebody if they fundamentally don't believe that there is Mm. something better for them or they don't have any other way of relating to people. This is this is a cycle that people get into whether it's relationships, career, money. Yeah. It's a cycle that can just make you feel so Yeah. Um, because then you go into self-criticism yeah. about why do I keep doing this to myself? I know I want to achieve this, but I just keep tripping myself up. What's going on? Everything we've been talking about, self-criticism, stress. Cass, what are some other examples of self-sabotage? Um, I guess you know, in terms of that the fear of the negative consequences Uh that can play out in different ways. So for example, when it comes to losing weight Mm -hmm. um, and achieving a particular, especially for women, achieving a particular body shape that they Mm -hmm. might aspire to, there can be the fear of the negative, like negative, um, not negative, the fear of attention, Mm -hmm. unwanted attention. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we know that for some women putting on weight, layering weight is actually in response to having received unwanted attention. Yeah, it can be quite You know, protective. women who've been assaulted or whatever mm-hmm. will often unconsciously like put on weight to mm-hmm. layer up so that they don't get that attention and it can work in the opposite way. Mm. So, you know, that, that it feels unsafe mm-hmm. to be put yourself on display in a way that's going mm-hmm. to attract attention. Um, things about career success and, mm-hmm. you know, fame, if you want to write a book or get yourself on, you know, into, onto TV, you start being recognised in your field. Yep. The uh, fear of, you know, judgment and criticism or, you know, being put into the limelight and uh-huh. having to perform and, and just Im- impacting your privacy. Yes, big You time. know, that's a mm-hmm. big one. These mm-hmm. as a celebrity culture, there's mm-hmm. no limits. Yes, that's so it. So people will keep themselves small, like mm-hmm. play, deliberately play small mm-hmm. and avoid going that next level up mm-hmm. because of these perceived, you know, mm-hmm. potential negative consequences. But if you're not aware of it, it's like it's this frustrating thing where why don't I just why do I keep getting in my way? Procrastination is a is a classic yes. self sabotage behavior, like just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and then getting frustrated. Why do I keep procrastinating on this? Because you haven't actually uncovered why, and mm. recognizing what these fears are that are driving. I can recognize that self defeating behaviors. As you're talking, I'm thinking, you know what? It took me. 15 years to set up my own business because I was terrified of people saying, you're not a good enough trainer, you don't know what you're doing, I don't oh, like yeah. your style, um, maybe not liking me personally. And yeah, I did a bit of TV and all of that, but I was hiding in my family business, you know, in Melbourne and just that was my comfort zone. It was a way of sabotaging that. And I had offers and ways to set up my own business. I kept saying no and no, no, no for years and years and years Yeah. to the point where I would physically take contracts interstate or whatever so I couldn't set up my own business. And there was, you know, barriers of geographically Mm. barriers. Um, And then finally 
found that confidence or I don't know what it was to start TiffXO.com, but it was a long process of getting over that fear. Yeah, that's a really great example, Tiff. So can you tell me when what actually changed for you? Like what was it that that was the tipping point that led you to actually setting up your own business? Well, I had just finished working on The Biggest Loser and I had really helped people to feel better about themselves. And I loved that. I was being contacted by people all over Australia Mm -hmm. and even internationally to train them. And all of a sudden I was seeing a lot of unqualified people in the media and on Instagram who weren't trainers, but they were health gurus. Mm -hmm. And it started to really annoy me. And I thought, you know what, I'm qualified. I know what I'm doing. And I, I got this confidence to put myself out there, create a training system and to rely on a lifetime of experience, grassroots. And I just kept focused on service and helping people. I didn't focus on, you know, what will people say? Will it be negative? I just thought I'll start with helping one person, two people, you know, a good training system. And it grew from that, but it was getting over that, you know. That's a great example. And that's a great tip, like getting out of your own way and out of your own ego Mm. into focusing on service. I think that's a really good, Mm. um, that's a really useful strategy. Mm -hmm to use. And I think what we're talking about here is that, you know, we talked about with the athletes, you know, the fear of failure. Mm -hmm. If I put myself out there and I fail, I can't tolerate that. But we're also talking here about fear of success. And, and so, you know, these are all really very normal human experiences. And for each individual in each situation, we just have to work out, well, what is it? Like, what is that thing going on? And in psychology, talk talk about making the implicit explicit because all of this stuff's going on, all of our decisions are being made and we just need to recognise what they are and articulate them. And sometimes just doing that mm. is enough to take the fear out of it. Yeah. You know, okay, yeah. otherwise it's just sort of kicking around in the back there and we're just getting in our own way all the time. But as soon as mm. we say, well, this is what I'm actually afraid of, well, what would be the worst thing about that? The fear of success is such a big one. And I, I saw, because my dad was an Olympic coach, I went to Sydney, I would watch the Olympics in Taekwondo and you'd have fighters. And you get one fighter, they wear blue, one fighter wears red. And they do a big yell, ah, when they begin the Taekwondo fight. And he'd always say to me, you can tell who's going to win the fight from that really? powerful scream, who's the most committed, because that fear of success sometimes would come into it, oh. where a fighter couldn't deal with winning or giving 100% like you have been talking about and they would like throw the fight or something would happen or they would blame the referee or, Mm -hmm. you know, their coach and it was fascinating to see that play out and I just, it's always in my mind that you really have to sort of like step up and own it, yeah, from the very beginning. Be committed. And I think it's also important to point out, you're talking about elite athletes uh, mm-hmm. in there. We probably come across this more with, you know, everyday people trying we to do. change their health and fitness goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to point out that not everything is necessarily technically self-sabotage. Sometimes there, is just a, sometimes there is just a case of losing motivation for your goal, just mm-hmm. falling off the wagon because you're trying to make changes involves discipline and commitment and it, that can be a process. And I think we often hear oh, gosh, I keep self-sabotaging mm. when really it's just a case of... Yeah, discipline is a process. I've kind of just lost my mojo yeah. today and I really just felt like eating that thing. And you're never <laughs> going to have those... Perf- we've talked about perfectionism. Yeah. One perfect day after another. It doesn't exist. It's sort of you're going to have a little step back and then you'll go forward two good days. It's just the way life is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And we talk about the change process you know Mm. I talk about this a lot the cycle of change which involves all of these various stages that people go through and once they're in that 
I don't think we need to go through all the stages, mm-hmm. but once they're in that action stage mm-hmm. of actively working to change a habit or change a behavior, then inevitably there will be a slip up. People go mm-hmm. have these slip ups and then hopefully they get straight back into the action again. And it doesn't have to be a full blown relapse and a complete yeah, undoing right. of everything that they've done. But but this is perfectly normal. Right. So how many stages of change are there? Just quickly. Oh, I was... think okay, so we start with yeah. pre-contemplation means uh-huh. means when you're not even aware that you need to make a change. Uh-huh. So you're not even on the on the mm-hmm. circle. When you get onto the circle, that's when you get into contemplation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, should I do this or should I not? I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I'm undecided. Should it's affecting I... my life. Maybe I should. And then we move into preparation. Once, mm-hmm. uh, once I've decided that, yes, I do need to make a change, we move into preparation, gathering resources, looking for how am I going to do this, what's going to mm-hmm. be the plan for me, what will I, how will I make this happen? Mm-hmm. And then once we've gathered all of our resources and we're ready to go, then we move into action. Right. So That's then, great. But during that action process, it's not mm, linear. No. Like you don't just then make a change and away you go and you're in maintenance for the rest of your life. Yeah. People trip around this circle many, many, many times before they make a permanent change. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, yes, there is a slip up, but it doesn't have to be a complete, you know, disaster. Yeah, back to where you were. I think that's important to recognise. And it's perfectly natural to lose motivation. The ambivalence comes back in all the time when you're Mm -hmm. in the action stage. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that, you you know, you should stop or that, you know, there's some kind of you know, underlying psychological thing that you've got to get to the bottom of just means that Mm. you're a normal human being that's struggling to sustain Mm. a change in your lifestyle. Yeah, and sometimes we have lazy days. Mm. That's okay too. So, yeah, I think that's really important to point out that change isn't linear. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with some tips to deal with that self-sabotage. Welcome back to Crappy to Happy with Tip and Cass. I have a question for you, Cass. Yeah. Is self-sabotage more prevalent in women than men? I, to be honest, am not exactly sure what the research says about that or, you know, because self-sabotage does manifest in different ways. Mm. I would say I think that women do tend to play a smaller game. Mm-hmm. Women do tend to actively kind of work to keep themselves uh under the radar, mm-hmm. career-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the health and fitness kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I do think, you know, we're, we live in a pretty male-dominated world and I think women have got a lot of beliefs and get a lot of messages about their place, mm-hmm. which they tend to adopt and, you know, that get ingrained in their behaviour patterns. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I do tend to think that they they do some of that self-defeating stuff for sure. Okay. A lot more of that self-defeating yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I really wanted to ask you, how do you gain the self-confidence then to combat self-sabotage? I think that you, it, it comes from practice, mm-hmm. I guess. I think from you and I, you know, just thinking about you and you and I've had conversations about our own mm-hmm. career trajectories mm-hmm. and just pushing yourself out of that comfort zone bit by bit can mm-hmm. help. The more feedback you get that you're doing a good job or that you actually are capable. Or yeah, you are, that helps. Yeah. yeah every more. single person that says, I lost weight on your program or I feel better or you yeah. help me, Cass. It gives you that, it mm. reinforces that idea that, oh, you actually do have something that you mm-hmm. can, that you offer that you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, like when we talk about that fear of negative consequences, it helps to really identify and articulate what those are. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do 
that, if you don't drill into what is really going on here that is getting in the way, what's the competing, I call them competing commitments. Mm -hmm. One part of me is committed to achieving this goal, but there's this other part of me that is really committed to keeping me safe where I am. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So if we can work out what the competing demands are or the competing, Mm -hmm. like it's a conflicting values thing. Yes. Um, The one hand, I really value, I want to achieve this goal. On the other hand, I really value my privacy. I really value being emotionally safe. Mm -hmm. I really value, you know, so they run counter to each Mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. So if we can work out what that conflict is, what that tension is, Mm -hmm. then we can try to find a way to reconcile them or to make them work. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like uh, I have friends who have been at uni for years doing one degree after the other, moving on to their master's, Mm. never finishing it, and then getting down to just being one subject away from graduating. Wow. And I think it's a fear of, well, then what What next? What happens after? I'm going to have to go for a job. I'm going to have to put myself out there. I'm I've got all these degrees and yet I haven't got the confidence to go to an interview. So I think it's... And if you can identify that and then you can mm. say to yourself, okay, so what do I really want and what's what would be the worst thing about mm-hmm. not getting a job? What would be the worst thing about putting myself out for this thing and actually failing mm-hmm. at it or not not After achieving all it? that work, yeah. What would be the worst thing about getting my book published and you know having to do media mm-hmm. interviews? Mm-hmm. Can I live with that? Or is there a way that I can minimise the ne- negative consequences that okay. I am perceiving? Well, then you can actually tell your conscious mind mm-hmm. and hopefully adopt that unconsciously as well that actually I, I've got a strategy for mitigating that mm-hmm. or, you know, so overcoming what, that. So what we're talking about is being observant of our feelings and our yeah. thoughts again, the mindfulness coming Bring, into that as well. Bringing the unconscious into the conscious mm-hmm. almost, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then for, with that, you can work with that. Once mm-hmm. once it's in your conscious awareness, you've got something that you can actually work with. Yeah, that's helpful. Similarly, that self-sabotaging stuff we're talking about mm. with old family beliefs or what you think you're capable of or you're yeah. not really that good at sport. If you come from a family that's you know, never been to uni or nobody's ever had a lot of money, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's that thing about tribal shame. Have you heard of that? No. Elizabeth Gilbert, again, I referred to her yeah. once before, but Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, I don't know if she came up with it, but she has uh-huh. a blog post about it on tribal shame and the things that we do to avoid stepping out of our mm-hmm. tribe mm-hmm. because they will work to keep us back in. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm you're thinking of examples of like the one kid who's never been to uni or um, the one, yep. one kid who goes to uni when the family's never been to uni. And they say things becomes, like, I never went to uni. I, you I've, don't need a degree. I've done that. I don't have a degree. Yeah. Yeah. So some families might be very proud of that achievement, mm. but there will be others that actively work against it to keep mm-hmm. you. And that need to belong to a tribe and a community is so powerful mm. that sometimes we will hinder ourselves and limit ourselves to stay connected to the tribe. And what's coming up for me is like financial stuff, money blocks and mm, things like mm-hmm. that because um, if you if you grow up around, you know, perhaps money is hard to earn and it's about blood, sweat and tears and if you earn money easily then it's looked at as being rich is looked at as negative. Money's not, a big one. Like it's a bad thing to have wealth or it changes of- arrogant or something like that, you know. Money beliefs are a big one. Yeah. yeah. So when we can identify what that is, and sometimes that, you know, journaling, writing mm-hmm. down, you know, childhood experiences, messages you've picked up, depending on what your particular block is or what your particular mm. sabotage is, you can, you know, spend some time exploring what were the messages you got when you were younger, um, you know, 
what you saw around you in your environment mm-hmm. and how you might have picked those things up and how they might be come, you know, playing out mm. in your behaviour. Now, again, it just takes a little bit of exploration mm. to identify what some of those things are and then you can work with that. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. So dealing with triggers and being mindful can help mm. with self-sabotage. Going back to the money and the the money blocking, I find yeah. that really interesting. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I find that really interesting too. I suppose that from a self-sabotage perspective, mm. that's about this having an idea of, you know, I guess self-worth equals net worth. If you have grown up in a family that hasn't had a lot of money and you might have particular ideas about what it means to be wealthy or have money, you know, money's the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rich people are, you know, callous and cold and, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a whole lot of stuff attached to yeah. money and beliefs about money mm-hmm. um, that people carry. And um, that can, again, that can subconsciously get in your way and it can limit people. So what I notice... I mean, I'm probably a bit guilty of this even myself, mm. is that money comes, money goes. Like even yeah, if you, you earn money, you can't hold on to money. Yeah, slips through your fingers. Yeah, and um, all this, you know, almost limiting what you're capable of earning, you know, all mm-hmm. sorts of ways the money thing plays out. Mm-hmm. I find it really fascinating too mm. because money is money's energy, you know, and you can do a lot yeah. of really good things making money. It's not a bad thing. No. But for a lot of us, it's really sticky and icky Mm. And it certainly comes up with this self-sabotage thing, I think, in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. So it really sounds like this self-sabotage filters into all areas of our lives, our families, our relationships, our our careers, even our finances, and it can really make us feel crappy. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's a really big topic. And I think it's worth acknowledging that Mm -hmm. it it really has the the potential to get in the way Mm -hmm. of whatever goals you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So really being aware of it and trying to uncover what some of those, either the unconscious beliefs or the um, perceived negative consequences you know, really drilling into what those might be and working out what's driving that self-defeating behaviour is has got to be the first step. So, you know, being mindful, but also being, again, a little bit of self-kindness and self-compassion, recognising that everybody does this to some degree. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you'll never be a success or that your, your options are limited in life. You know, it's just like step by step working through it and, you know, moving out of your comfort zone, um, mm. tolerating that discomfort with mm-hmm. mindfulness and, you know, pushing yourself a little bit further to achieve what you want to, what you want to achieve in life. It's everything, isn't it? Mm. Thank you, Cass. And that brings us to the end of Series 1, Crappy to Happy with Tiff and Cass. Thank you so much for listening, but it doesn't have to end there. You can go to tiffxo.com and see Cass and I. We combine meditations, mindfulness with meal plans and workouts. And also, Cass, you've got your own website. And it is cassandradunn.com.au. That's where you can find Cass. Cass, I've learned so much from you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I've learned so much from you too. And we hope that you've learned a lot from us, listener. We can't wait to catch you next time. Crappy to Happy was recorded in the Podcast One studios. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Nick Slater. For more episodes and to check out other great podcasts, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.